the chip. Don't double dip. I'd never heard that before, but that's a pretty good. I've done that to preserve the proper uh, scoop to substance ratio. You got a giant tortilla t- chip, and just if you use it, take too much salsa, you'll have it all over you. Got to be restrained. Double dipping is like sharing a lollipop. But that gets back to what we were talking about earlier. There are people I would share. I would gladly share a lollipop with my wife. I've for seen instance. you do it with Sean. <laughs> oh, jeez. It's like we got a sickness in our house. Um, it's very rare that we all four don't end up with whatever gets into the house. Mm-hmm. It's it's you. It's really hard. Oh yeah. To 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 keep that from happening. Oh yeah. <laughs> so if somebody's got something and they're in your house, it, you know, I don't I don't think you need the chip that's going to cause the problem. Oh, no. No, family members. I noticed my son double-dipping when he was home for uh, the holidays. Really? I harassed him a little bit. What'd you say? I said, you're double-dipping. Stop it. <laughs> did he know what you're talking about, or did it strike him as a new phenomenon? When I, like, I'm when not I, sure he was familiar with the concept. I don't remember specifically. Yeah, like when I learned about tipping on drinks. I had no idea that people did that. Tipping on drinks? He bought a beer. I didn't know you gave a tip. Oh, to the bartender? Yeah. Oh, okay. The social graces, we learn them as we go. I had no idea until I was, I don't know how old. Speaking of social graces, here's a scenario for you. You're interviewing for a job. Well, you've gotten the job as a college football coach. And the school newspaper wants to interview you to get to know you. No problem. And the uh, plucky little uh, school reporter says, which historical figure Unrelated to football, would you like to have dinner with? You're thinking, I don't know, Lincoln, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, got an interest in science, maybe uh, Copernicus or something. Well, uh, one Morris Berger, who was uh, at Grand Valley State, uh, said, you know, I'm going to say Adolf Hitler. What the hell? This is probably not going to get a good review, but I'm going to say Hitler. That's, I think that's a defendable answer. Nazi Germany. I understand why it's going to cause controversy. Hey, everybody, this is Jack's final show. <laughs> He's done such a nice job. It's been great to have him on the crew. No, we'll, okay, we'll get to that. But here's what he said. I'm going to say Adolf Hitler. It was obviously very sad, and he had bad of motives, but um, Michael, the he Hitler had... bell is for gratuitous mentions of Hitler, not specific okay, news that's stories. Right, I forgot he it. had bad motives, but... It was obviously it was very sentence. sad, and he had bad motives, but the way he was able to lead was second to none. How he rallied a group and a following. I want to know how he did that. Bad intentions, of course, but you can't deny he wasn't a great leader. Huh, I wasn't even thinking of that part of it. I was just thinking of the... negative. But... What, what's your, what, how do you feel like this is going to turn out, or what, what's your goal? How do you picture it? And why? <sighs> uh, sometimes the eye, the, the 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 thinking process of a monster is interesting to me. Well, yes, that's defensible. Sure, it's okay to give boring answers to these things. I think people try <laughs> way too hard to come up with something that's really going to land. But the guy said, when clearly the right answer is evil can evil. <laughs> the way he was able to lead was second to none. How he rallied a group and a following. Yeah. Then that's not good. That's not a good answer. That is not no. good. <laughs> second to some. My yeah. answer was defensible. His is not. <laughs> and he said, they said, wow, who else? And he said, John F. Kennedy, being that he was a good president and everything. That's the kind of answer you want. Boring and stupid. After this last two weeks, I would, and I've answered this question in my own mind a thousand times in my life, but I think after these two weeks, I would go with James Madison. 
the uh, the author of the Constitution, mm. and uh, and ask him about several of our big topics. I'd really like to hear, you know, any of the founding fathers would work, but maybe him in particular. Yeah. The the impeachment, uh, the, the, the Second Amendment. There's a number of things I'd like to know. I'd like to tell them the current modern situation and right. see how they apply it if they still if they still feel the same way. I'd love to know that. You'd have to explain a fair amount of technology to them, but that would be fine. I'm picturing one of those focus groups like you see on TV sometimes. You're there, and and they're sitting around a conference table. You got James Madison, you got George Washington, you have uh, Alexander Hamilton, maybe John Adams, Jefferson, Jefferson, and you'd say, "All right, uh, the Second Amendment. Did you guys just mean a militia, or should people be able to defend themselves?" Period. Oh, really? What what about tanks? Then you'd have to explain what a tank is. First, you'd have to explain what a motor is. Um, but then you'd say, "All right, so just take women it from can me. vote." It's like, "All right, you're gonna have to give me some time to let that sink in." It's <laughs> that's what they'd say. Why? Why have you allowed this abomination? <laughs> You'd have to say, all right, it's like a metal horse with a cannon in it. All right, it's a tank. We just call him a tank. Like a water tank? No. No, I told you. Giant metal horse with a cannon. Anyway, should I be able to have one of those under the Second Amendment? And just see what they say. Really, the key, if you have a bunch of founding fathers, and this gets left out of the conversation all the time, they didn't agree <laughs> on, on a lot of things, like to the point of, and, you know, read the books, read their letters, read their correspondence and that sort of stuff. They often believed the other one was selling out the revolution and ruining the country mm-hmm. with, oh, yeah. with their ideas. Bitter disagreements. Yeah. So it's not like the founding fathers thought X. Right. Right. That's what would be so, uh, you know, educational about it. But that's not going to happen, Jack, because they've been dead for hundreds of years. But they did come up with this whole impeachment idea, and uh, it uh, it's just the third time we've ever done it, all the way to this point with the trial, and it's going to end today, and Donald Trump will remain in office, so we're, we're, we're 0 for 3 in booting presidents out through impeachment, so I think maybe we should not try it again unless something really overwhelming happens. Well, and if it does, it will be a bipartisan effort, at least to some extent. Yeah. There's zero Republican votes in the House, man. That just... There are plenty of Trump-hating Republicans in the House. I think it's got to be bipartisan enough that you end up with the the Nixon solution more than likely. Unless you've got a crazy person in the office, they're going to say, both parties are against me, the country's against me, all right, I resign. I'm not going to put the country through this, I'm just going to go. Well, I'm going next Friday, whether I go now or not, so might as well go now. Right. I think most presidents would think if you got both parties against you and the, and the public, like right. Nixon did. Maybe I can steal some office supplies on my way out. But if half the government is on your side and half the people or more don't aren't worried about it, then, you, then what's the point? So what happens if a president is removed by impeachment? Do they cuff him and shackle him? Make him do the perp shuffle? I haven't Does heard anybody... a mob flood in and, and make him run out in terror? I thought, How does that work? I thought the other day about playing this through back when it seemed like maybe there was a slight possibility Trump might actually be in trouble and go. Like I, on Monday when the New York Times had the Bolton thing and all, yeah. everybody's all hot to trot for, for a cup of coffee. But anyway, yeah, so votes on the article's impeachment today. If they had those, and wow. You got 25 Republicans, all the Democrats. Looks like we got about 72. Yes, he should be removed. It passes. Is he immediately at that second no longer president? At that moment, yeah. At that moment that they count the votes, 
Mike Pence is president? I, I suspect it's so. It's almost got to be. Well, yeah. How else would you do it? Well, right. What do you give him a week to well, you, like you, take you, out his vengeance? Or you couldn't or even her? say. <laughs> her? They let women run? You couldn't even say by at 8 o'clock this evening because no. you, the awesome powers that a president has and, and the um, uh, another co-equal branch has just decided this person is not fit to be president. Right. So you can't let somebody who's got the power to launch nuclear missiles declare war on Louisiana or something like that. Do all kinds of different things. Right. Well, Harden sure. himself. So at oh, that shit. moment, Mike Pence would be president. And yes. if that happens... It's just like the incapacity clause. Then what happens with the presidential race? Because there's a whole bunch of Trump voters. Maybe most Trump supporters. They don't care one way or another about Mike Pence. No. They got no feeling about him whatsoever. He's been a loyal veep, and they appreciate that. But nobody feels strongly about Mike Pence unless you hate him. Do the Republicans immediately start running people? That would be an uncomfortable a- meeting when you say to Pence, yeah, you're the sitting vice president, but... He- you're not very excited. We're going to come up with a different candidate to run against whoever the Democrats. Little Marco, so thirsty. Wait, I'd get interesting fast because I I don't think I wish we could get Lonnie Chen, but our phones are broken. I don't think Mike Pence would be the nominee. I don't think that's who most people want. <sighs> I think that I think he'd almost have to be just because it's so simple. But uh, he'd lose. I think uh, he'd yeah. lose. Well, yeah, it depends who he runs against. No enthusiasm. The guy from for Mike Appre- Pence. The Apprentice won last time because yeah. he ran against Hillary. But he packs an arena full of cheering people. True enough. There'll be no cheering people for Mike Pence. Not, <laughs> not many. Nothing wrong with the Could guy. Lindsey Graham win? Would Trump fans uh, turn out to support him for his support of Trump? Would your best? I mean, this shot- is all a wild hypothetical because none of it's going to happen. No, but would the would your best bet to be run somebody that's Trumpy? To try to get the Trump people. Nobody's Trump. Nobody's Trump. No. The harder you try to be like Trump, the worse it would look. It would just it would fall flat. Don Jr. putting chalk on his hands, ready to get in the ring. Why not? <laughs> Why not? We're not Kim Jong-un. There's no, like, three generations are impeached stuff going on in the U.S. Don Jr. There's not a hardcore Pence coalition out there. There just isn't. No. No, I don't think there is. Um, but none of it's going to happen because they don't have the votes to call John Bolton or anybody else. Partly because Republicans are saying, "Yeah, he pressured the Ukrainians. We know. We just don't think it's removable." Mm. So well, I'm, I'm setting my D, I'm setting my DVRs today. I want to see. Uh, I suppose all the networks will take the voting live, uh, but I want to. I want to hear what they say. I want to hear what Stephanopoulos says. I want to hear what Rachel Maddow says. I want to hear what they say on CNN when it's over. I want to. I want to. I want to know what the vibe is. I yeah. think that's going to be pretty exciting. I heard that. I'm Schadenfreude, huh? I need to heat up some cheese dip because it's better when it's hot. I'm going to oh go back God, to the you're well like a dog. I'm going back to the well like a dog, <laughs> and uh, we got to get the clips of the week, which are on the oh, way that's next. That's right. Yeah, on the Armstrong and Getty show. Armstrong and Getty. I don't know if you heard Alan Dershowitz on The View a couple of days ago. It was an ugly scene. We'll play that for you in a little bit. I've gone back to the well on Michael's um, Super Bowl cheese dip, which would taste great with a cold beer. But since since I'm a non-drinker, I'm washing it down with shame. Shame (laughs) that this is my third. Shame. Shame. I'm washing it down. Shame. Shame. With room temperature shame. <laughs> Flat room temperature shame. Fabulous. But before we go any further, 
You need to take a fond look back at the week that was. We do this every Friday. It's called Cow Clips of the Week. It was like a four-day-long PowerPoint. This is supposed to be Trump's punishment, not mine. This cancel culture. It's so funny. When they do polls, they find like 80 to 90% of the people in this country hate this shit. You know, it makes you realize that uh, um, you got to make every day count. Yeah, I, I, I certainly feel the urge. Impeaching would deny both justice to an individual and justice to our Constitution. Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane <laughs> next to it. We'll have things under control without all of these knobs and buttons. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Officer, I, I, I didn't know there was chocolate in there. If we call John Bolton, I promise you we're calling Hunter Biden soon. Is it possible that by tomorrow night the impeachment trial is over and we've turned the corner on this major question and this major moment in history? More than possible, I would say likely. Oh, hi, I'm Frederick Miller. It's F-R-E-D-R-I-C-K-M-M-M-I-L-L-E-R. Perfect. Did you say spell it? Uh-huh. I'd forgotten. What was that new uh, new feature that we had? Guess that beast. Do we have another round of that? Uh, I, I'm sure I can manufacture oh, one no. for next week. Nobody. No, I, just, no. I just wondered. No, the audience is clamoring for it. Clearly, <laughs> the, the ratings are in. Let's not do it right now. That's funny. They must be filtering the emails on that topic. <laughs> Hey, is the Chinese. Uh, it's become clear to me. Sean and I came to and I came to the same conclusion. We were talking about this in the lunchroom. Mm. As another wave of Kobe stories in the news, and all different uh, tangents related to it. You know the the wife of the helicopter pilot, blah blah blah. Just just whatever, just to keep the Kobe story going. And it's clear, pretty clearly, it's gone beyond. It makes sense for. Just the fact that you liked that basketball player. It must be that it struck us like, uh, well, if you've ever had anybody in your family or friend just die all of a sudden, it's shocking. Yeah. It, it, it takes a while to get over. It reminds you. And you wouldn't think we'd need reminded as human beings. I guess it's because we work so hard to put it out of our head. But it reminds you, oh, yeah, I could die at any moment, too. Oh, and and I, I guess it's Kobe because he was so... Just such a giant, you know, ball of energy, bigger than life, as they always say, but like it seems bigger than than life could be. Mm-hmm. The smile, the energy, the success. And if he can just all of a sudden cease to exist, yeah, that is, blah, whoa, whoa, hold, entire worldview changing. That's part at, of least, it. at least momentarily, that's yeah. got to be part of what is propelling yeah. this. People are fascinated by aircraft going down too. That's <laughs> true. That. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You can have uh, I don't I don't know what the numbers are, but like five hundred people will die in car crashes today across the country. I don't think a car wreck would have gotten the same attention. It's not spectacular, huh? It's just mundane and sad. But I don't know. There's a lot going into it's, it. It's pretty grim. I almost wish you could run that as an experiment. Just just because how much of it is you know. It's like the norovirus virus, the amount of attention it's getting. Uh, the coronavirus. The coronavirus. Mm-hmm. The amount of attention it's getting. 
compared to the risk versus the flu, which is everywhere and kills us all the time, and you can catch it anywhere. Right. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it's just, uh, hmm. What was that saying you had yesterday about rarity? Uh, it's or? the it's the uh, uh, the um, fallacy of novelty. Um, it, it, here, the long and short of it is, if something is really unusual, it makes the news and gets a lot of attention. And before too long, people start fearing the least likely things to happen to them because that's what they hear about all the time: shark attacks, plane crashes, what have you. You know, unless you're flying over Iran. Um, so, yeah. I think it's, but and again, I don't know. This is a, it's a downer. It's a downer to me. So but obviously pro... there is something more than he was a big basketball player and oh, we liked him. Obviously something going on bigger. Yeah. As to why that would propel the story. And you're pro pretending we're not going to die. That's your, your stance. I'm sorry. Say again. You're pro pretending we're not all going to die. Yes. Yes. Okay. At every opportunity. All right. And every moment you can buy a one pound shaker. Of the fake cheese powder that goes on Kraft macaroni and cheese. And you can put it on anything you want. It's that substance that's in the packet. Mm -hmm. And I used to live downwind of the gigantic um, uh, craft plant in, I guess it was Urbana, Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. And it did not smell the least bit like food. Not even (laughs) a little. But you can buy a one-pound shaker of this and put it on all your food if you want. <laughs> That's not my salads. I love this article is pretty funny. This can I magic, shake it on my kale? Well, sure. This magical shaker of childhood dreams can be yours for just six ninety nine. <laughs> How many fabulous. boxes? Dershowitz on the View. Stay tuned for this. And Getty. Oh. The Armstrong and Getty Show. According to what I'm reading, you're the only constitutional scholar who goes with that line. There is not one other who agrees with you. Not let one. Me, let me be very clear about that. In 1867, the okay, dean wait, of the wait, Columbia wait, wait, wait. Law School. <laughs> Alan. Yeah, no, you know, this, in 1492, you know, Columbus sailed the But listen, I need, I need us to move on. So no, you're no, saying no, no, now no, that no, you no, need no, a you're, crime? You're not going to get me to move on until I make this point. Okay, well, when here's the, here's the thing, Alan. You're not going to get any time because you got four people trying to ask you questions. So I'm asking you to move faster. Alan Dershowitz, Harvard Law, trying to make his argument. (laughs) On the view. And as soon as he starts into his explanation of his position. No, no, 1492, whatever. Well, yeah. (laughs) Racism is the worst thing in America, then violent crime, then the view. The view is the third worst thing in America. Now, the interesting thing about Professor Dershowitz is I do believe he, to his bones, believes that this is not a good use of the impeachment power and that this will make impeachment too easy and too common. Some of his arguments, though, have seemed like stretches to me. Right. And uh, I thought we'd ask maybe uh, somebody who knows him about that. Lonnie Chen is the David and Diane Steffi Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution, also Director of Domestic Policy Studies, lecturer at uh, Stanford University, and occasionally records Crossing Lines with Lonnie Chen, a fabulous uh, podcast. Lonnie, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you, John? And you're, excellent. You're excellent. And you're a graduate of Harvard Law, correct? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's right. And, uh, uh, I try not to talk too much about that these days, though. And you had, okay, uh, maybe that's a hint as to where this is going. And you Did you have Professor <laughs> Dershowitz at any point? 
I did not, and and I kind of regret it because I think it would have been fun. Uh, I, I had I took criminal law from a from a different professor, but you know Alan Dershowitz did teach criminal law when I was there. I had several friends who had him and and enjoyed him tremendously. Are are, are all the arguments he's making arguments that he believes to his core, or is he just representing a client? Well, I think it's hard to say. I, I, I don't think, first of all, I don't think that any of his representation is political in nature. In other words, there have been, you know, accusations, well, he's just a shill for Republicans and Trump. I mean, if you look at his career, he, he's not a Republican. No, not at a all. He's a liberal Democrat. He's a, he's a civil libertarian. I think that's fair. Uh, he's been relatively consistent in that sense. So uh, to, to argue that somehow he's, you know, uh, you know, just a Republican uh, uh, pundit, I That's think is ridiculous. Well, and you know the way the media, you know the way the world works and media works. There's going to be a different story in the near future that he's on the other side of the Fox crowd with, and this whole conversation is going to flip around. He'll be the hero to the MSNBC crowd and a, a villain to Fox. But but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, it's it, it feels very transactional in that sense. But but in terms of whether he he believes it, I. I think he believes most of, of the arguments he's making. I think sometimes he's taken the arguments maybe a little bit far, you know, when, when there was that whole discussion about whether, uh, you know, if the president believes his reelection is in the public interest or any politician believes their reelection is in the public interest, then they, they, they can't be impeached essentially for following uh, their instinct to be reelected because that's also in the public interest. I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but uh, I, I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to to create a conversation around some of these issues. So I, I don't, you know, whether he believes it or not, who knows. But I actually think he's been decently effective, notwithstanding some of his, oh, yeah. his more extreme positions. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, what, I, you know, you but, know, at risk of getting down into the constitutional weeds, what do you think of the proposition that there must be a statutory crime for a president to be impeached? I've agreed with that. Most of what Dershowitz has been arguing, but I don't agree with that one. I think it's too easy to come up with a hypothetical. Yeah, no, I don't agree with that notion either. I mean, I think that because the term high crimes and misdemeanors in the Constitution is so vague, and, and I think it is meant to distinguish from the statutory violation or a, a statutory crime. I don't think it's the case that one has to have violated the law. Now, I, I think it's also the case that it's a lot easier for people to conceptualize, you know, look, this guy lied under oath. He perjured himself. He broke the law. He committed a felony. Much easier to wrap your head around that than to say, well, someone committed something which isn't a crime but is improper and therefore we want to impeach him. That's a much more difficult argument, I think, sometimes for people to wrap their heads around. So I, I think from a strictly from a jurisprudential point of view, I don't think, you know, one needs to have violated the law. But I just think it's easier in the court of public opinion to make that argument when one has. Well, this impeachment thing is over. We now know the result and it's for the history books. So, uh, you know. Well, I, I look forward to reading some of the history about it in the decades to come when we get more information, but it's over now. And it's interesting. Well, you know, I, Go ahead. I was just going to say, guys, we talked about this, right, in the sense that impeachment's like every news channel, front page of everything right now. I, I bet you in three months it feels like a distant no. memory. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and oh, that's yeah. the amazing thing of this, right? I mean, such a big deal now, but by the time we get to the election, I think there's going to be many other issues that will be more important. Well, there are bottom-up big deals, and there are top-down big deals, and I think this is a top-down big deal. There aren't that many Americans feeling uh, you know, passion in their heart one way or the other, honestly. Hey, uh, let's look to the future. 
say uh, Bernie wins in Iowa Monday, what are the reactions, particularly by his own party? Well, he's that's right. He's a, he's an independent. Uh, what? How will the Democratic Party? Yeah, react? Biden called him out as not being a Democrat yesterday. Yeah, which right. was uh, interesting. So will they go crazy? Will they block him again? Uh, you know, I do think that it will set off panic uh, alarms for a lot of the Democratic establishment to the extent that there is one. And, and don't forget, there's a guy lurking out there named Michael Bloomberg who has a ton of money. And, and in my view, essentially, is in this race, not necessarily to win it, but to be in a position to deny Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren the nomination. So I, I, I think what will end up happening is you're going to have some effort to coalesce people around an alternative to, to Bernie Sanders. In a similar way, by the way, unsuccessfully, Republicans tried to do in 2016 against Donald Trump. So whether that's going to be successful, whether Pete Buttigieg is going to step aside for Joe Biden, I mean, all those are big ifs. But I think if Bernie wins in in Iowa, uh, it is going to really set off some alarm bells because Bernie Sanders would be catastrophic for the Democratic Party. I really believe that's true. In a general election, he puts states in play for Donald Trump that you never would expect to be in play. Right, and uh, and, 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 I, and and it's a problem. And and you you say I say we a lot of us say you know a little boy it's really going to get their attention set off alarm bells but at some point they're going to have to do something. I mean between M- Monday night if Bernie wins and New Hampshire you got one debate in a couple of weeks what are they going to do is Barack Obama going to come out and give a speech or are people going to start re- releasing all their uh, dirty oppo research against Bernie that they were holding back or what do you expect to happen? Well, this is the thing. Everyone already knows. I mean, the, the, the picture of Bernie in the USSR, uh, <laughs> you know, all the crazy things Bernie right. has said. I mean, that stuff is all out there already. And in some ways, Bernie reminds me a little of Trump in his Teflon-like exterior. I mean, a lot of this stuff, which is just crazy, doesn't stick to Bernie. So I, I, I don't know if it's going to be an oppo thing. I don't know. I, I don't think Barack Obama coming out to give a speech against Bernie is going to be helpful. I, I do think what they've got to figure out is, you know, what's the alternative to Bernie? And in some ways, Iowa will sort that out, right? So let's say Bernie wins and Biden comes in a strong second and Buttigieg really fades, which I think is going to happen, by the way. I think people are going to get there and they're going to be like, you know what? Can't vote for this 38-year-old. It's just not going to work for me. So I tend to think Biden's going to end up being the alternative. And if Biden can come in a strong second, that is the most important thing, I think, in terms of coalescing people before they get to New Hampshire. Because in New Hampshire, the, the next week later, You've got, you know, for Bernie, you've got the Elizabeth Warren problem. Elizabeth Warren represents a neighboring state. She's got a good base in New Hampshire. She's going to siphon off some votes for him. And if Bernie slips to second or third, let's say, and Elizabeth Warren is in the mix and it confuses things on the progressive side, if Joe Biden can sneak through and win or again finish a solid second, I think that's going to clear things up a lot for him, for, for, for Biden. Hey, uh, kind of a general question, based on something you mentioned about uh, Pete Buttigieg. Is there any study, is there a general knowledge among you brainy sorts about the way people behave when they actually get into the voting booth? Do they opt toward caution um, more often than not? Um, It's an interesting question. I mean, I, I, I don't think there's a study that shows that people, you know, generally tend toward caution. In fact, if, if anything, I think sometimes people tend toward wanting change. But the Iowa caucus is such an interesting format, right? Because it's not, you don't actually go into a ballot box. You're, you're there and you're literally trying to, people are trying to cajole you, convince you to go support a candidate. It really is democracy in action. So in, in that sense, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how aggressively, for example, people in the Biden camp 
are, are making the argument, look, you can't vote for an untested 38-year-old to go up against Donald Trump. And, and that is Biden's closing argument in Iowa, by the way. If you look at all the TV advertising he's running in Iowa, it's all about I'm the guy with the experience. I'm the guy who can get it done. Don't go with the untested. Go with the proven guy. That's his message. And so, you know, we'll see if it works or not. Um, and, and Iowa's going to be excited. I can't believe it's Monday. I mean, no, no, no. we've been talking all this impeachment crap. And it's like, the thing is Monday. It's a big deal. And we're not really covering it. We're talking with Lon anyway. He Chen. His podcast is Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen. It's um, State of the Union Tuesday. It's insane. Oh, yeah. And uh, the word is Trump's going to do a victory, lack about, a victory lap about impeachment in front of the people who impeached him. <laughs> That's going to be fun. Oh, my God. Um, uh, two things. A super PAC, and who knows who's really behind the super PAC, ran an anti-Bernie ad two days ago. And he raised a million and a half dollars off of it. Bernie so, did. Bernie yeah. did. Wow. So, that, speaking of him being Teflon, and this question for you, there are a lot of wacky Super Bowl bets. How many times will Trump tweet on Super Bowl Sunday? The over or under is 13 and a half. What are you taking? <laughs> I'll take the over. I am not, too. I'll take the over. I mean, especially if, if, if he gets acquitted today. Uh, you know, there's going to be some serious tweeting over the weekend. I mean, he's going to be unplugged. He's going to go after everything. <laughs> well, and it, and, I mean, <laughs> and he's got the interview with Hannity on Fox, which will get attention, and he'll be tweeting about that. But you remember the Ukraine phone call, wasn't it the day after Mueller failed? Yes. So he might be feeling, the, you know, smelling himself tomorrow, and who oh, knows boy. what he's going to do. <laughs> call Macron and say something, <laughs> that, you know, outrageous. <laughs> Could happen. Lonnie Chen uh, from the Hoover Institution, Stanford University. Lonnie, always enlightening. Thanks a million. Have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. You too. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Yeah, it was the day after the Mueller crash. Okay, that thing's over. That thing ain't yeah. going to happen. Finally, smooth sailing. The smooth sailing. Let's finally investigate Hunter Biden. So who knows what he's got planned for tomorrow? Oh, no. No, no. I can't take it. Oh, boy. Exciting stuff. Yeah, Super PAC runs a big... Okay, this is one that's going to bring down Bernie. We've been holding back just days before Iowa. Boom, the ad hits. Bernie raises a million and a half dollars off of it. Yeah. Because that makes just, you wonder, you know, how good an idea that is. He is very Trump-like in that. In that, and this, I remember early on with Trump, a story had come, and I think, okay, here, here, this is it. It happens with Bernie on a fairly regular basis, and it just doesn't seem to land a mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, here he is in the Soviet Union with his shirt off, drinking vodka, singing with a bunch of Russians. Ha, ha, ha. Nobody cares. It just doesn't matter. He has a heart attack. Doesn't matter. He goes up. <laughs> he goes up. <laughs> He's 80, and his heart is about to explode. You tell anybody other than Bernie or in previous times, you got an 80-year-old candidate who has a heart attack a month before Iowa. What are their right. chances? Yeah. What, are you yeah. kidding? Right. Is that a serious question? I know. <laughs> These are strange times, man. Strange. Uh, Look, I don't tolerate bullshit terribly well. That's true. No. I'm not good at pleasantries. But if you have your birthday, I'm not going to call you up to congratulate you so you love me and you write nice things about me. That's not what I do. No, it's Never not. have. research over half of americans say when it comes to attending a super bowl party food is more important than the game <laughs> listen even the greatest football teams lose but pizza undefeated 
Maybe James Corden would be into this uh, $154,000 Super Bowl feast that a New York City restaurant is offering if you want to do it. That's that's what you got to pay? That's what you got to pay. What? Uh, you get a lot for it's it, a though, It's a house, not a meal. Old Homestead Steakhouse has sold two of its dinner experiences that boasts a plethora of some of the most expensive meat, spices, <laughs> wines, and cheeses imported from around the world. Nothing but the best for me. Dinner for 12 kicks off with a stretch limo ride stocked with $1,200 bottles of Cristal Champagne to drink in the limo as you head over there. Okay. $750 per pound Wagyu beef sliders. Oh, that's the way to go. Oh, my God. I feel like sliders is not the best use of the Wagyu beef. $750 a pound beef. Throw it on a bun. Uh, appetizers begin with deviled eggs served five ways, topped with gold flakes. Well, okay. That's just idiotic. <laughs> $1,450 per ounce Middle Eastern saffron. What is saffron? It's a spice. $2,500 per ounce black truffle shavings. $450 per pound imported Japanese black pig. per pound cheese imported from Switzerland, or Caspian Sea caviar that costs $1,700 an ounce. From the Caspian Sea, you say? I'm (laughs) I'm puking at the end of this. It's too many different foods. Right, and this is just like, I drank Cristal on the way over, ate sliders, ate this. Now they're bringing out the food, nachos with prime rib shavings, and $98 per pound Stilton blue cheese, and homemade salsa that comes infused with $2,700 tequila. Oh, nice. Again, salsa, not necessarily the best use of that fine tequila. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> even, yeah, even the, like using a $500 bottle of wine to cook your spaghetti sauce. Yeah. Uh, even the pizza topped with porterhouse cuts. I originally thought it said porterhouse cats, which is <laughs> well, horrific. Wait, I'm, I'm not paying $154 for that, much less 1000 <laughs> Uh $250 per pound, uh, some sort of Genovese tomatoes. That's an expensive tomato. $50 a pound cheese. Good God. You know, last NFL game I went to, it was one of those things where there were all sorts of foods on the party bus we went on. Mm-hmm. Then we get there, there's all sorts of different foods and alcohol and then different alcohol and the rest of it. And I ended up up chucking at the end of it. You can't, your body doesn't want that much variety. All the different kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah, and all of that sounds really rich. And too. all that stuff yeah. you listed, that was you were still in the appetizer portion of the meal. Yeah, what? I saw that before yeah. you even get to the main courses. What's the main course? Because uh, I know you're anti-appetizer. Uh, massive Kansas City barbecue short ribs, molasses baked bean chili made with imported $40 per pound beans. Uh, beans or beans? <laughs> $130 crab legs. What's the matter with you, $100 oysters, $200 per pound cheddar cheese. What the I hell? would be yakking. Yeah. All I on. ate today was Michelangelo's uh, cheese dip, and I feel like I'm going to hurl. Somebody told me they had $200 a pound cheddar cheese. I told them they're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it at him. It is now my incredible privilege to present final thoughts with these moron Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. An unimpeachable introduction. Uh, Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap up the show. He presses the buttons. He keeps us on the air. Michelangelo. Michael? Well, first of all, I'm glad you guys love the cheese dip. And um, if you want the recipe, armstrongandgetty.com. And I forgot to give you guys mini tacos, but it's probably a good thing, actually. Oh, yeah. I can't eat again till today, I don't think. (laughs) Today is today. What? 
<laughs> I can't eat again today. Oh, oh, it sounded like you said you can't eat again till today. Oh. That would be odd. I'm, I got so much fat in my mouth, and my, my tongue doesn't work. Positive, Sean, your final thought. Got myself a haircut yesterday. Not just that. I did the old wash and a haircut thing, and the woman who washed my hair, she could probably just bust coconuts open. Her hand strength. Her, I've never felt fingers so strong, and she she just really just got in there on my skin. I, I made go back just for more hair washes. It was so great. Wow. Wow. Gal, you say? Oh, yeah, yeah. Strong well, hands, though. Identifies. Strong. It's cool. Uh, Jack, final thought? I want to watch the Super Bowl on Sunday, and I'll try, as I have every year, but my kids aren't into it, and trying to get them interested and seeing how long I can keep them interested, it never works very well. My Super Bowl prediction, 49ers by 14 pounds, total team weight. The score, I have no idea. (laughs) Not a clue. Could be a blowout in either direction or a tie at the end of regulation. I'm so excited. A couple of great teams. My prediction for the Super Bowl, the Hannity interview with Trump will not be a hard-hitting newsmaking affair. (laughs) Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. A little softball before the football. So many people (laughs) thanks for a little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. All of the podcasts are there. Our One More Thing podcast featuring Marshall Phillips is there. He stopped by the other day. Uh, you can email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Something you see we ought to be talking about, send it along. Impeachment ends today for the history books. See you Monday. God bless America. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Planning, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this still cop was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! <laughs> <laughs> <sighs>